I would like this evening to speak about tefillah, about prayer. And I would like to start with one question, and then uh, I will go into the handouts that uh, you have. Um, the, my question will be, what does it mean to pray? Does it really correspond to our uh, perception, I would say day-to-day -day perception, of what prayer is all about? Our perception is that we have three times a day, we could add, add Kriyat Shema Lamita, we could add some brachot that we do, from time to time, we're supposed to uh, say, to recite some parts which are uh, a compilation of verses of the Bible, additional texts, which end up being our prayer book. And the question is, is this really to pray? I will want to make a distinction between the, any translation, whether it's to pray, or to daven, or any other translation in any other language, and what we call lehit palel. To pray in Hebrew has a special connotation, and it seems to me that tracted brachot is dealing with that connotation quite in depth, and I chose for this evening a very short paragraph, short in quantity, but large, very large in ideas, which are held behind this short passage. I suggest that we go right away to source number one. I'll read it first in Hebrew, and then you have the translation in English. The Talmud says, on Intracted Brachot, page 26a, the Gemara says as follows. Itmar Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Hanina Amar Tfilot Avot Tiknum. Rabbi Yoshua Ben Levi Amar Tfilot Keneged Tmidim Tiknum. There is a discussion between Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Hanina, who suggests that the prayers were instituted by the patriarchs, and Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, who says that the prayers were instituted to replace the daily sacrifices once the temple was destroyed. Tanya kavotei de Rabbi Yossi ben Rabbi Hanina, ve Tanya kavotei de Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Those two sages are Amoraim, and the Gemara says, that there is a Tanaic text, a Braita, which means a text with greater authority, that su supports each of those two opinions. I would like to clarify that usually, when there is a polemic amongst scholars, what one can do is either try to convince the other side by logic, or to bring a verse to support one's own thesis, or 
or to bring a uh, text which has which bears heavy authority and thus to prove one's side. But here the Gomorrah somehow suggests that each of the two uh, opponents have an ancient text supporting their own perspective. We will this evening focus only on the first text that supports the opinion of Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Hanina. Tanya Kavoted Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Hanina. Here is the Brayta supporting the opinion of Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Hanina. Avraham tikent filat shacharit. It's Abraham who instituted the prayer of shacharit. Shneemar, as it says, Vayashkem Avraham baboker el hamakom asher amad sham. Ve'ein amida el atfilah. Shneemar vayamod pinchas vayefalel. Avraham is the one who instituted the morning prayer, as it says, and Avraham got up early in the morning to the place where he had stood. And standing means only prayer, as it says, then stood up Pinchas and prayed. Yitzchak tiken filat mincha. Isaac is the one who instituted the afternoon prayer. שנאמר ויצא יצחק לסוח בשדה לפנות ערב ואין שיחה אל התפילה שנאמר תפילה לעני כי יעטוף ולפני אדוני ישפוך שיחו. יצחק is the one who instituted the afternoon prayer as it says and Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards the evening towards the evening is the, the time to pray מנחה and meditation means only prayer, as it says, a prayer of the afflicted when he fainted and poured out his complaint before the Lord. The word Yishpoch Sicho is in Hebrew the same as to pour out one's complaint. In other words, Lasuach, to speak, and Lishpoch Sicho, to pour out one's complaint, is the same expression. Last paragraph, Yaakov tikent filat arvit. Jacob is the one who instituted the prayer of arvit, the night prayer. Shneemar vayifgab hamakom vayalen sham. And he hit or he lighted upon the place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. Ve'en p'gia elat filah. And lighting upon p'gia means only prayer. As it says in Yirmiyahu, that Altit Palel Bead Haamaze, Vartisa Beadam Rinaut Fila, Vartif Gabi. And you pray not for these people, says God to Jeremiah, neither lift up cry or prayer for them, neither make any intercession. Here again, to make an intercession is the, used as a verb lifgoa, altifgabi, says Hashem to Yirmiyahu. That's the paragraph that we have, and that will be the source that we will be working on this evening. In other words, we have the following literary structure. We have 
an ancient text that suggests that uh, Abraham is the one who instituted the morning prayer, Yitzchak instituted the afternoon prayer, and Yaakov instituted the evening prayer. And we know that because for each of those three part patriarchs, there is a verb for Abraham, Ahmad, for Yitzchak, Lasuach, and for Yaakov, Lifgoa. Each of them is referred to as a prayer in a different text. And obviously, each of them is mentioned in relation to a particular time during the day. For Abraham is Vayashkem Avraham Baboker. For Yitzchak it says Vayitzay Yitzchak Lasuach Basadelif Not For Abraham he went out in the morning. For Yitzchak he went towards the evening, which means the time of the afternoon prayer. And for Jacob, who had this famous dream when he hit this place where he had a dream of the ladder, obviously that was at night. So, basically, the case of Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Hanina is backed up. And yet, my brother once described the difference between a halachic text and an agadic text as follows. When you have an halachic text in the Talmud, it's usually very difficult to decipher. But once you have, so to speak, uh, understood it, so it's yours, it's clear. In this particular text, in the text of Agada, there is no major difficulty to understand the text. No particulars, grammatical, logical challenge to understand this text. And yet, it seems that once we understood we understand that we don't understand. In other words, what did, what did this text want to tell us? I mean, is it merely the fact that Abraham instituted the prayer of morning, Yitzhak instituted the prayer of the afternoon? Maybe, but we are entitled, and that's, I want to quote Levinas on this, says one can be happy, be satisfied with this, but we are entitled, we are, um, we may request more. And that's what I would like to do. I think that we, we could request more. My basic hermeneutical assumption this evening will be that any text in the Talmud is a pretext for a context. Whenever the Talmud brings a text, it's always a suggestion to look around, because the real treasures are around. So, let's look around a little bit, and let's see what appears in the verses, around the three verses quoted that we've seen thus far, about the three patriarchs. In source number two, both in Hebrew and in English, we have the first one regarding Abraham. Chapter 19 is, as of verse 24 and on, the description of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. I read. 
ואדוני המטיר על סדום ועל המורה גופרית ואש מאת אדוני מן השמיים. ויהפוך את הערים האל, ואת כל הכיכר, ואת כל יושבי הערים, וצמח האדמה. ותאבד אשתו מאחריו, ותהי נציב מלח. וישכם אברהם בבוקר אל המקום אשר עמד שם את פני אדוני. וישקף על פני סדום ועמורה, ועל, ועל כל פני הארץ, ארץ הכיכר, ויער והנה עלה קיטור הארץ כקיטור הכבשן. Then Hashem caused rain to rain upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And He overthrew those cities and all the, the, the plain and all the inhabitants of those cities and that which grew upon the ground. And His wife, we're talking obviously about Lot's wife, looks back from behind Him And she became a pillar of salt. And now the verse quoted by our Gomorrah. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked out towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards all the land of the plain and beheld and lo, the smoke of the land went up as the smoke of a furnace. What is, what, what, what is the context regarding Abraham? When it says that Abraham got up early in the morning in the place where he stood, what, what does that mean? For who did he pray? He stood, and we understand he prayed. For who did he pray? He prayed for the people of Sodom. So maybe the first idea of prayer is the following. That prayer should have a component... which aims at the entire universe. The first aspect of prayer should be a concern for the entire universe, even for the most wicked in the universe. Praying and not including those who need our prayer, even if they belong to Sdom and Amorah, is not to pray. This is what Avraham said, The father of many nations teaches us. The prayer of Abraham is not merely the prayer of the morning. The prayer of Abraham is a prayer which beyond the idea of praying at a certain time during the day suggests that we should pray in a certain way. Our prayer should be a concern for the entire world. A prayer which is closed on itself, which doesn't take into consideration the needs of the entire universe, is not a prayer. And this is what we learn from Abraham. Abraham teaches us that our prayer should be, first and foremost, a concern for the entire world. Yitzchak, on the other hand, teaches us something different. Just as we saw for Abraham, around, by looking around, we saw the character of Abraham's tefillah. Let's go and see now what is the character of Yitzchak tefillah in source number 3. We are in chapter 24. As of 
verse 55, we are talking about the fact that the sir, the uh, Eliezer, he is not called such, he is called Eved Avraham, the servant of Avraham, is sent to find a wife for Yitzchak. And we all remember, he comes to the place and uh, makes a vow and says that the woman to whom he will ask to drink and she will suggest not only that he should drink, but he will or she will also give to drink to his camels, she will be the one meant by God to be Yitzhak's wife. And shortly thereafter, indeed, he finds uh, Rivka. And, so to speak, the trick works. He asks for, to drink. And she says, I'll give you to drink and I'll give to your camels to drink. And he is very shaken. He hopes that indeed it is the person whom he was hoping for. And in, eventually, it turns out that it's a m member of the family. And he very much hopes that her family will let her go with him to become Yitzhak's wife. But it's more complicated. It doesn't go that well. At that point, let's look into source number 3, verse 55 and on. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young lady sit with us I translate according to Rashi, Yamim, literally, it's days, but Rashi says a year, or a sore, or ten months. And then she will go. And then Eliezer said to them, Delay me not. God has prospered my way. Let me go and I will go to my master. And then they said, Let us call the young lady and let's ask her opinion. Will she be willing to go with you? Will she not? They called Rivka and they asked her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. They blessed Rivka, 
and they said, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands, and let your seed possess the gate of those who hate them. And Rebecca arose with her damsels and they rode upon the camels. They followed the man and the servant took Rebecca and went his way. ויצחק בא מבו באר לחי רועי והוא יושב בארץ הנגב. And Yitzchak came from a place called באר לחי רועי for he dwelt in the land of the south, in the Negev. And now the verse which is quoted by our passage. ויצא יצחק לסוח בשדה לפנות ערב. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards the evening. ויישא עיניו And he lift up his eyes, Vayar, Vihine Gmalim Baim. He saw camels were coming. We understand very well what is going on. When Eliezer met Rivka, he gave her quite substantial presents. So her mother and particularly her brother understand well that the more they will let the deal wait, the more they will get for that deal. So they are interested in not hurrying anything, not rushing anything. From their perspective, they can wait a year or at least ten months. And Eliezer realizes that his master Abraham, back in Israel, is an old man. He's such an old man that who knows whether he's going to make it when he will come back a year later with the bride for his son. So he really implores them and says, please let me go. At that point, they do something which is very, very, very unusual in the old world to ask the young lady herself. I know in Trisha you shouldn't ask such questions, but once upon a time you never asked the lady. You just decided for her and that was it. And here, there is some kind of a burst of feminism saying we shall ask her but we should hear the tone of the question will you go with this man suggesting that very clear what the answer should be but she probably has, have, has had it um, from staying at home and she says yes I will go at that point there they have no choice and they have to let her go. But we understand that while in letting her go, they give her blessing, tremendous blessing, it was like, it could have been different by, by a, a very, very uh, 
little thing could have been if Rivka would have been a little bit more intimidated by her brother and her mother she might have said whatever you say or I'll wait until you deem it appropriate for me to go or something like that at that point we have like in a movie the camera closing from one side and opening on another side we are just left the house of Lavan we just left the house of Betuel and now we are seeing Yitzchak let's try to understand Yitzchak's psychology his father's servant went to look for a wife for him don't we remember what we felt when we asked ourselves is that the right person don't we when we get to know the person with whom we go out and yet we ask ourselves is it really the person with whom I want to share an entire life and we have all kinds of trepidations we have all kinds of deep existential questions which obviously rise on such an occasion how much more such a question arises when you don't get to know at all who the person is you don't know whether Yitzchak doesn't know whether Eliezer is going to find somebody whether that somebody is going to be the right somebody, whether the right somebody is going to be willing to come, whether her family will let her go. How many questions are there? And therefore, when he goes out and starts to pray, when he goes out and starts to meditate, he asks, he prays a very, very different kind of prayer than the one that Abraham prayed. Abraham teaches us the principle of the universal prayer. Or if you want, Abraham teaches us prayer as something which ought to have a universal perspective. Yitzchak teaches us prayer as having a very idiosyncratic character. It is the prayer that we do for ourselves. The very prayer that we used to do for our health, for the health of our beloved, for the success of those that we cherish most. And the Talmud wants to tell us, just as prayer should entail a universal perspective, it should also entail a perspective for the self. This is no less legitimate. This is also part of what prayer should be. So, thus far we have two aspects to what prayer should be. It should have a universal horizon and it should have a very personal horizon. There is a third one, however. And that's the one of Yaakov. Let's move to source number four. 
We're in chapter 28. We remember that Yaakov didn't get along with his twin brother Esau from the beginning. When they were still in their mother's womb, it didn't work. And the tension just became higher and higher as they grew. So much so that after Yaakov gets the blessing instead of Esau, he is at risk. And therefore his mother, Rivka, suggests to him that he should leave and he should uh, take a break until Esau will calm down and he will no longer be in danger. So he leaves and Parashat Vayetze starts with Yaakov going out. Vayetze Yaakov mi Shava. Yaakov goes out, goes out of Beersheba Vayelech Harana and heads up towards Haran, towards his mother's. Vayetze Yaakov mi Beersheba Vayelech Harana Vayifga b'makom Vayalen Sham Kiva Shemesh Vayikach me'avne ha'makom Vayasem irash ota Vayishkav b'makom ahu Yaakov went out of Beersheba went to Haran and he, lay, and he lighted upon the place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. He took one of the stones of the place, put it under his head and lay down in the place to sleep. And he, dame, and he made there the famous dream of the ladder with the angels going up and down and the famous promise that God gives him in verse 13. And God stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and God of Yitzchak, the land where you lie, to you I will give it, and to your descendants. And you shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in you, and in your descendants, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. One of the more, most characteristic words that appears on and on in this passage is you and your descendants, the Zarecha. If the prayer of Abraham was the prayer for the universe, if the prayer of Yitzchak 
was the prayer for the individual, for the self. It seems that Yaakov, who leaves here his homeland, does not live as indiv an individual. Let's remember, when his mother was perplexed because she didn't know what was going on, and she went to seek Hashem, what does Hashem say? You have two nations in your womb. Two nations will come out from you. Yaakov represents the nation. A third dimension. Prayer should not be only for the entire universe. It should not be only for myself. It should be also for the nation, for the community to which I belong. Indeed, we see that over and beyond the three times that we learn for Abraham in praying in the morning, for Yitzhak in praying in the afternoon, for Yaakov in praying in the, in the evening, we learn something which goes way behind that. It's not only when to pray, it's for what to pray. We should pray for the entire universe, for ourselves, but also for the nation. However, it seems that just as we did in looking in the context of the first quotation, we should remember that the literary structure of this short passage that we saw is interesting inasmuch as it doesn't have one reference. In each case it says the word Ahmad means something else. The word Ahmad doesn't mean to stand. It means to pray. As it says for Pinchas, for example, Vayamot Pinchas Vayefalel. And he prayed. For Yitzchak, Vayetel Yitzchak Lasuach Basadeh, to speak, to meditate. To meditate means to pray. As it says on somewhere else. So maybe we should look not only in the first half, but in the second half. So, with your permission, let's go back to Avraham and let's see what we can learn from the second source quoted. We are in source number five. We understood that to stand means for Avraham to pray for the universe. How do we know that to stand means to pray? Well, we know that from a verse in Psalms 106. It's a long psalm. And let's read it quickly and understand what it means. Avotenu b'mitzrayim lo eskilu niflaotecha lo zachuet rov chasadecha vayamru al yam b'yamsuf. Our father in Egypt 
gave no heed unto your wonders. They remembered not the multitude of your mercies. They were rebellious at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nonetheless, God saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. And he rebuked the Red Sea, and it was dried up, and he led them through the depth as through a wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of those who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of their enemies. And the waters covered their adversaries, their enemies, and no one of them was left. Obviously, it refers to the Egyptians. At that point, they believed to his words. They sang his praise. However, they soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel. But lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tried God in the desert. And he gave them the request that leanness in their soul. Obviously, it's the request that the uh, children of Israel made for eating meat and not only the manna. They were jealous also of Moshe in the camp and of Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord. The earth opened and swallowed up Datan and covered the company of Aviram, obviously with Korach and his fellows. And the fire was kindled in their company and the flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Chorev and worshipped the molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for the likeness of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior who had done great things in Egypt. God who made wondrous works in the land of Ham, terrible things in the Red Sea. Therefore, God wanted to destroy them, if not Mo- Moses, his chosen, who stood before him in his breach, to turn back his wrath, let him not sh- let, let let he should dest- lest uh, he should destroy them. Moreover, they scorned the desirable land; they did not believe in his word. They murmured in their tent; they hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. 
And therefore, he swore concerning them that he would overthrow them in the wilderness. That he would cast them among the seed among their nations and scatter them in the lands. That's the paragraph that we will be mainly concerned with. They joined themselves also into the Baal and Peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. They provoked the Lord with their doings and the plague broke in upon them. And at that point, Vayamot Pinchas Vayefalel Vateatara Magefa stood. Then Pinchas stood up and he prayed so that the plague was, was stayed. What do we learn from this paragraph? This is a, uh, this is a, a, a short summary of about 40 years. Sh- very short summary. But one has no choice but see that this summary is not very much to the glory of the Jewish people. I mean, the summary, all in all, is not very, uh, is not, let's say, a song of praise. It's not that they behaved under the miracles that were accompanying them all day. After all, they were eating manna. After all, they had a, a... a moving well with them, the well of Miriam. After all, they were surrounded by clouds, by a pillar of fire at night. The presence of God was palpable. And yet, what this psalm basically tells us is that they went from one failure to another failure. And it ends with probably one of the most terrible failures. You remember that in book of uh, Numbers, in Sefer Bamidbar, indeed, the, uh, the summary of the behavior of the Jewish people is not to their praise. But there is one happy episode there. And that's the blessing of Bil'am. Bil'am, who is called upon by Balak to curse the Jewish people, is blessing them one time after the other. However, the Jewish people don't know that. They are not aware of, that bless, of those blessings. So, at the end, Balak gets an advice from Bilam. Send the girls. You'll see. It'll be fine. So he sends the girls, and indeed, the Jewish people fails. Indeed, we know that Zimri ben Salu goes with Kozvi Batsur, a prince of the tribe of Shimon, goes and makes a public affair with a princess of the foreign nation sent to tempt them. At that point, Pinchas takes a sword 
and does what he does, we all know. Why is that paragraph brought here? Why is that paragraph, the word, Vayamod Pinchas? Didn't we learn from Abraham that prayer should have a universal perspective? So is it possible that what the Talmud wants to teach us is the following? That yes, you should have a universal concern. But you should remember that a, a concern for the universe does not mean that you use, you lose your own identity. A concern for the universe does not mean that you have a universal perspective and that you do not anymore realize that you should remain what you are, that you have a certain ideal to fulfill. If having a concern for the universe means to be able to go with the Bnot Midian, the daughters of Midian, that's a limit that one should never trespass. Therefore, one second, therefore, maybe the Gomorrah here does two, two things at once. On the one hand, it tells us that what Abraham teaches us is that our prayer should be a concern for the entire universe. On the other hand, it says also what the limitations, what the boundaries of that should be. And the boundaries are very clear. Never lose track of your unicity. Never lose track of your own special challenge. Because if you do so, then it's not a concern for the universe. It is losing the perspective of what makes you special within the universe, or I would say differently, what your goal should be within the universe. Yes. I thank you very, very much for this question. I think it's a great, it, it, it's a great remark. Indeed, that exactly is, re refers to uh, what I said before, i.e. that I do not fully realize, uh, don't understand that uh, it means to pray. Here it means something else, obviously. I will take your question, but if you, with your perm permission, at the end. Okay? But we will in indeed go back to this. Absolutely. Let's go now to, the, to Yitzchak. To source number six. We learned from Yitzchak that prayer could have and should have a very idiosyncratic, a very personal, existential aspect. Yes, when we pray, we are entitled and we should pray for ourselves, for our beloved. We learn that from the word Didn't Yitzchak pray for himself? Didn't he pray for having the right wife, the right life, the right family? And yet, here again, the word lasuach is used as reference to another context. We're again in Psalms, but this time, Psalm number 102. Let's read it. 
תפילה לעני כי יעטוף ולפני אדוני ישפוך שיחו. אדוני שמעה תפילתי ושבתי אליך תבוא. אל תסתר פניך ממני ביום צר לי, התה אלי אוזנך ביום אקרא מהר ענני. כי קל הוא בעשן ימי ועצמותי כמו כד ניחרו. הוכה כעשב ויבש ליבי כי שכחתי מאכול לחמי. מכל הנחתי דווקא עצמי לבשרי. דימיתי לי כעת מדבר, הייתי ככוס חורבות, שקדתי ואהיה כציפור בודד על גג. A prayer of the afflicted, when he fainted, and poured out his complaint before the Lord. O oh Lord, hear my prayer, and let, me, my, and let my cry come unto you. Hide not your face from me in the day of my distress. Inclined your ear unto me in the day when I call, answer me speedily. For my days are consumed like smoke and my bones are burnt as a hearth. My heart is smitten like grass and withered, for I forget to eat my bread. By reason of the voice of my thighing, of my bones cleave to my flesh. I'm like a pelican of the wilderness. I become as an owl of the waste places. I watch and I become and I'm become like a sparrow that is alone upon the housetop. What is the, what is the, the atmosphere of this psalm? You don't have to be a, a very sophisticated psychologist to realize that In this mizmor, the psalmist is very distressed. He is very, he feels alone. He feels that he has nobody to speak with. He feels that he is, like he says at the end, a sparrow that is al- alone upon the housetop. The pelican of the wilderness is a bird which lives on his own. The, the owl of the waste place is a bird which lives on his own. He feels that he has nobody to relate to. And this may be in the same spirit of what we saw before. Just as for Abraham... We have the challenge of praying, of being, having a concern for the entire universe. But we have to realize that there is a danger. There is a danger of losing track of our own challenge. By the same token, from Yitzchak we learn that prayer should, be, should entail also an aspect for ourselves. But being overly concerned by the self might lead to solipsism. Might lead to a point where I will no longer be able to see the other. I will not be concerned by whoever is behind myself. The self has this danger of being overly concerned by it, by our self. And not able to see somebody else. The Gomorrah therefore. Does hear again. At once. Two. 
gives two recommendations. One is that prayer should entail our own concern. But it also gives us a warning. You sh we should pray, we should be concerned, we should have a concern for ourselves. But that concern should have a limitation. We shouldn't reach the point where this concern is becoming something which is solipsism. Unable to see whoever is behind or besides us. To pray means also to realize that just as I have my concern, the other also has his and our tefillah should go towards him or her as well. And the same holds true for Yaakov as well. From Yaakov we learned that prayer should have a third aspect, which is the aspect of the concern for the community, for the nation. Is there a danger here again? Let's see our last source, Source number seven. We are not anymore in uh, Psalms. We are in Jeremiah chapter seven. Chapter seven in Jeremiah is a very strong chapter. It's a chapter in which God instructs Jeremiah to stand in the gates of the temple and to say words. He knows very well will not be well accepted by the nation. Let's see. <laughs> אל תפתחו לכם על דברי השקר לאמור, היכל אדוני, היכל אדוני, היכל אדוני המה. כי אם היטיב תיטיבו את דרכיכם ואת מעלליכם, אם עשות תעשו משפט בין איש ובין רעהו, גר יתום ואלמנה לא תעשקו ודם נקי אל תשפכו במקום הזה, ואחרי אלוהים אחרים לא תלכו לרע לכם. ושיקמתי אתכם במקום הזה, בארץ, אשר נתתי לאבותיכם למין עולם ועד עולם. הנה אתם בוטחים אל דברי השקר, לבלתי הועיל. The word that came from Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and pro proclaim there these, this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord. All of you, Yehuda, that enter in, this in these gates to worship the Lord. Thus said the Lord of the hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will let you dwell in this place. Trust you not the lying word saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Nay, But if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute justice between a man and his neighbor, if you oppress not the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, and shed no innocent blood in, these, in this place, neither walk after other gods, 
to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, your trust in lying words that cannot profit. Back in Hebrew, Pasuk Tet. Haganov ratzoach venaov ishabal ha-sheker vekater labal balach achar ha-elohim acherim asher lo yedatem uvatem v'amadetem lefanai babayit azeh ashenikra shmi alav v'amartem nitzalnu l'man asot et kol ha-toevot ha-ele ha-meharat paritzim haya abayit azeh ashenikra shmi alav b'enechem גם אנוכי נראיתי נאום אדוני. כי לכונה אל מקומי אשר בשילה אשר שיקמתי שמי שם בראשונה וראו את אשר עשיתי לו מפני רעת עמי ישראל. Could you steal, murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and offer offerings to the Baal and walk after other gods whom you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house whereupon my name is called and say, we are delivered, we are redeemed, that you may do all these abominations? Is this house, whereupon my name is called, has, be, has this house become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. For you go now unto my place, For you go now unto my place, which was in Shiloh, where I caused my name to dwell at the first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people is Israel. And finally, Ve'ata, Yan asotchem et kol ha-maasim ha-ele neum Adonai, v'adaber alechem ashkem v'adaber v'lo shmatem, v'aikra etchem v'lo anitem, v'asiti l'abayit asher nikra shemi alav, אשר אתם בוטחים בו ולמקום אשר נתתי לאבותיכם כאשר עשיתי לשילה. והשלכתי אתכם מעל פניי כאשר השלכתי את כל אחיכם את כל זרע אפרים. And now, because you have done all these works, said the Lord, that I spoke unto you, speaking, speaking over and over again, but you did not hear, and I called you that you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to my house, whereupon my name is called, wherein you trust, and unto the place which I gave to you and to your fathers, what I have done to Shiloh. I will cast you out of my sight, as I have casted out your brethren, even the whole seed of Ephraim. And now the last verse, quoted by the Gemara. ואתה, says השם to ירמיהו, ואתה, and you, אל תתפלל בעד העם הזה, ואל תישא באדם רינה ותפילה, ואל תפגע בי, כי אינני שומע אותך. And you, say השם to ירמיהו, pray not for these people, neither lift up cry nor prayer for them, neither make any intercession to me. Tifgabi, for I will not hear you. This chapter 7 is a very strong and painful chapter. 
basically, Yirmiyahu has to stand in the gates, before the gates of the temple, and announce to the people who believe that we have the land of Israel, we have the nation of Israel, we have the army of Israel, we have the temple of Israel, nothing can happen to us. After all, we are secure here. What could happen to us? And Yirmiyahu has to stand. And we know that Yirmiyahu has to stand not on his own, not only alone in front of the entire people, but he has to stand in front of all the false prof- prophets. What are the false prophets saying? They are saying exactly this. Our nation will save us. Our land will save us. Our temple will save us. Our army will save us. We shouldn't be concerned. Nothing can happen to us. After all, we are the chosen people. And Hashem says, says to Yirmiyahu, you have to stand there and to say, just as I have thrown away the ten tribes of Ephraim, the ten tribes of Israel, either you improve your deeds or you will not be able to be there. The land of Israel, the army of Israel, the temple of Israel have no value if they are a mere structure filled with no content. This is very difficult to say. And God knows that Yirmiyahu, after admonishing the people, will try to say a couple of words in their favor. And therefore he says to him, You, Yirmiyahu, Don't raise a prayer for them. And don't intercede. Tifga, the same word that we saw for, for, uh, for, for Yaakov. Yaakov taught us the importance of having a concern of the prayer being a prayer not only for ourselves, not only for the entire world, but also for the community, for the nation. But just as there is a danger of the prayer for the self to become solipsism, just as there is a danger of the prayer for the universe to lose track of our particularity within the universe, just by the same token there is a danger as the concern for the nation might become ultra-nationalism. And this will lead nowhere. This is what the Gomorrah teaches us again at once. Two recommendations at once. Yes, we should be concerned for the nation. But we should know that the nation is a structure that has a meaning only if it continues to carry the message it is supposed to carry. If it's a mere structure in itself, hollow of any message, empty of any meaning, this will lead nowhere. There is a wonderful Meshachachme, a wonderful uh, say, commentary, by Rameir Simcha of Dvinsk, one of the leading scholars and I think thinkers of the last century who says that when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Sinai and saw the people around the golden calf, 
and he threw the tablets. He said, if Moshe Rabbeinu wouldn't have thrown the tablets, the tablets themselves would have, would have become a subject of idolatry. You may be at Sinai. You may have the tablets carved by God, written by God, and these may become a subject of idolatry. We are never protected from idolatry. Only ourselves, only our permanent thinking of what we are doing can help us know whether we are on the right side of true belief or on the side of idolatry. Let me now go back to your question. And I will go back to your question which was in fact the question I asked at the beginning. What does davening mean? Is it possible that davening means to come to a shul, to open a book and to recite words one after the other? Indeed, from Pinchas we understand that it's not what he did because he didn't pray. Pinchas doesn't say a word. He takes a sword. The word palol in Hebrew means to judge. And the reflexive form of hitpael means lehitpalel means to judge oneself. To come to shul and to say words, even many words, is easy. To stand before the Almighty, to stand before transcendence and realize that we have to judge ourselves in light of three different criteria. Are we enough committed to the welfare of the world that in doing so are we keeping our particularity within the universe? Are we concerned enough for ourselves and for our beloved ones without, on the other hand, falling into solipsism? Are we concerned for our community? Are we concerned for our nation become be, without becoming supranationalists? That may be the challenge that Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Hanina tells us. Yes, we learn that we have to learn to pray in the morning, in the afternoon and at night. But there is so much more that Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Hanina teaches us. This challenge is now and every day ours. I thank you. Yes. I, I would say <coughs> that if prayer is only what you describe, i.e. hollow of any real existential sense, I doubt that this is prayer as it should be. On the other hand, we have to remember that we are scattered all over the world and we, are, we continue a certain tradition. The fact that we keep the same format but we can fill this format with our own personal meaning 
is, I think, what the challenge of prayer is. What I try to suggest this evening is that in keeping the format, we should do that in light of those three criteria. The universal, the personal, and the nation one. I think it can be done, but as I said, it's a gr huge challenge. Who says it's easy? It's not. Yes. I, I'm not sure, uh, personally, I'm not, I'm not sure there is an, another one. I think that if you take, indeed, the very famous passage where uh, Abraham is, is praying by bargaining, and here you have another example that prayer does not necessarily mean to say the, those words, but you can, you, you can, you can pray by, by virtue of expressing a concern for somebody. Abraham expresses his concern for the people of Zdom and he says, it, it's impossible, or, uh, and, and he says, you, you can't let the, the entire city uh, just go. So, uh, I, I, um, one can suggest that it was another prayer, but for me, the one that we know about suffices as a very, very good example of a prayer which uh, exemplifies the concern for the entire universe, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I didn't want to, 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 to refer to this medrash simply because within the framework of this Gemara, it would, it would turn the, the first prayer of Avraham into the second one of Yitzchak, which, which I, 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 I really don't think uh, <laughs> it is. When, when, you, when, 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 you enter, when you enter the question of Tashlumin, when you enter the question of Tashlumin, then, then, then it, this already uh, you know, belongs to the, what I call the technicality of, 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 of davening, which, which I think is important, but is, is, is something else. Um, if, if one missed uh, one prayer, he should say twice Shmonesra in the next prayer. That's what it means. Many midrashim, many midrashim suggest that Abraham would have continued. What he did, he, 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 it's not that he felt there might be five. When he, when he stopped at ten, he realized that, that besides Lot, there is nobody else. So, uh, I don't know. Obviously, there are various readings. I, I, I see that differently. I really th see each one as, uh, as being a, uh, a, a, a full uh, perspective in its own right. I think that the, the, the personal is a full right uh, with, with tremendous challenges and with tremendous dangers. So is the universal, and so is the na so, so is the, the, the nation. A, I, I, I don't see Yaakov as being the, the, the what you call the golden path, or, or uh, I, I think it, it's a dimension in in itself. And B, uh, the second part, then the Yirmiyahu part, would less be understood altogether, according to to, to, to your reading. So. Uh, Again, you know, uh, you know that, that I, I certainly welcome you know, alternative readings, 
But um, I would beg to defer on this one. Please. Uh, a, a, I think that your point, your point is very well taken. Uh, if I try to combine my reading and your comment, I would say that, yes, indeed, um, when I judge myself truly according to these criteria, obviously, I, I'm not, I can't stay the same person. Um, so, Abraham uh, changes. Um, and and I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that Abraham is only changing by, by what is described here. Um, that, that would be a subject for, for, for another lecture altogether. But um, I think that the Abraham of before Sodom and the Abraham of after Sodom is not exactly the same Abraham, just as I feel that the, the Abraham of the before the Akedah and the Abraham of after the Akedah is not the same Abraham. So yes, when, when, you, are, when you have such an experience, it indeed affects yourself, your, your, your entire uh, per- perception of yourself. Um, uh, and and, and that's, that's the way it is with, 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 uh, uh, with Yaakov as well. It's not that he sees, you know, the, that he dreams about the angels on the ladder. It's, what, it's his reflection when he wakes up and, and, and then is, is taking that dream as something which has an existential meaning for him. Um, I think that uh, Yitzchak um, has a, a tremendous challenge. I will say that telegraphically. Uh, and again, this is... This is uh, the problem of Yitzchak will be a problem of uh, establishing a, um, a, a real relationship and he will have great difficulty to do that. Yitzchak has a tremendous difficulty to establish a, the kind of relationship I think he would have wanted to, to establish both with his wife and certainly with his children. But again, this, this takes us in, 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 in a different uh, perspective. If one, if one day I'll be invited, I'll, I'll, I, I think that the whole book of Bereshit is a, is, um, is an attempt to define the difficulty that relationship with the other has. It, it's a challenge from the beginning to the end. Try to see that Kain and Hevel, it, it's the worst. And when you go to the end of the book, Yosef and his brother, it says, Velo shalom. So that's, those are the two poles, so to speak. And within that, you see that wherever you look at, it doesn't work. Avram and Lot, he saved him, but it doesn't work. He says, Hipared na me'alai ki anashim achim anachim. Let's separate because we are brothers. So the solution for brothers is not to dwell together. It's not to find a solution. The solution is to separate. So what I call Bereshit is a challenge for brotherhood. There is genetic brotherhood. 
But to move from genetic brotherhood to conceptual brotherhood, to understand that indeed I must have a, a certain kind of relationship with the other, is what the entire book is all about. And Yitzchak is a particular example of this. Yitzchak will have gr- tremendous difficulty. The truth is that Yaakov also. Yaakov will, will be slightly different. But, but I mean, unlike the, the very uh, Swedish uh, picture that we got in kindergarten, I think that when you, we, look, we look at the Psukim a bit closer, and particularly when we look at that in light of all what the Midrashim say, Said that Chazal were quite critical of. of, of uh, it's not a matter of being critical. It's it's a matter of we, we learn from that how difficult it is. Isn't it difficult for us? Let's be honest. Isn't it difficult for us to learn to establish a good relationship with our immediate surrounding, let alone with our more more remote surrounding? For sure, it is. Uh, you, you're an excellent lawyer. You're an excellent lawyer. I mean, yeah, you, you say that, that how, can you, can you, how, you know, how can you have such a concern for the other when your father basically took you and put you on the altar? It's, it, it's, not, it, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not an easy experience, you know? Abraham says, You know? Of course. Maybe last question, sir. My whole point, and my whole point this evening was precisely that prayer might not be just to come and to say words, but it is to appreciate. It is to internalize. It is to go through an existential change in your own self, vis-à-vis the universal, vis-à-vis the self, vis-à-vis the nation. But we might have different perspectives, and that's fine.